Have you prepared him room? Has the King of glory entered in to your heart? Are you trusting Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? It's a question we must face and ask and answer every Lord's Day. We're going to continue in Ecclesiastes this morning, looking at the bookends, another set of bookends of another section. We will start on the section in chapter 7, the first part of it, next time, which is another section of contrast between folly and wisdom, and actually showing the practical benefit of wisdom. Certainly man's wisdom, and if it's in opposition to God, is no good, but even man's wisdom is limited and can't sustain our hope and satisfaction. But God's wisdom is valuable, and we'll begin to look at that wisdom section next week, and just want to look at the bookends this week, and brag on God a little bit, and hope you are rested in Him and His sovereignty. But, uh, so I'm just going to read this morning from chapter 6, verses 7 to 12, and then I'm going to skip over the wisdom section and read um, verses 13 and 14. But thus far, this is God's Word. Pay close attention. All of the toil of man is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living. Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite, or what we talked about. Better contentment with what we have than this continual lust for more. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with the one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? And now 7, 13, and 14. Consider the work of God who can make straight what He has made crooked. We've already seen that in chapter 3. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Thus far God's Word. Let's pray for God's blessing as we look into it. Lord, be so at work in us that you are our treasure. That we are satisfied, rested in you, hoping in you, enjoying you, trusting you, loving you, living for you. Not hoping and resting in anything under the sun, but resting above the sun in you and your glory and your grace to us in Christ. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune God of our salvation. So Lord, help me to preach your word in the power of your spirit. May everything I say line up with truth and help us to hear your word, Lord, with diligence as the word of God. And be at work in every heart. Lord, I pray for those who are listening in the building or in the overflow or outside or even over the live stream who do not know you that you would draw them to faith in Jesus. Plant gospel seeds, work repentance, confront sin. Do what you need to do, Lord. And those of us who do know you, the same thing. Do what you need to do in our hearts that we would know you better, rest in you more, trust you better, live for you better. Be people who more are loving you and loving one another and living for your glory. So bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. Accomplish all of your purpose. It is in Jesus' holy name that I pray. Amen. When I was just a little girl, I asked my mother, What will I be? Will I be pretty? Will I be rich? And here's what she said to me. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, 
will be. The future is not ours to see. Que sera, sera. A cheerful little anthem of fatalism. <coughs> that is, whatever will be, will be. By, uh, sung by Doris Day. Que sera, sera is more in tune with the translation of Spanish, but its origin is really in Latin. Uh, but it simply means, if you're wondering what que sera, sera means, it simply means what the next line says. Whatever will be, will be. We're reviewing and Solomon is shaking us by our shoulders, trying to get us to see the fact that everything under the sun is vanity, is hevel, is temporary, is vapor. That it is here and it's gone. It can't sustain your joy and satisfaction. That as we'll see at the end of the book and we get glimpses all the way through, we must look above the sun to God to find safety for our souls and satisfaction for our souls. Nothing here will do that for us. So we are to fear God and to know Him and to reverence Him and to love Him and to trust Him and to obey Him because judgment is coming. It's the way the book ends. It's the way life ends. And the only way to be prepared for that judgment is to fear Him through faith in His Son and be rested in Christ. But an essential element of of fearing God, a foundational element of fearing God, is knowing Him and, and, and submitting to that knowledge that He's given us in His Word. We could never figure Him out on our own. Some things are revealed in creation like His eternal divine, and His divine nature and His power. But there's nothing that a tree will tell us about His goodness and mercy and grace. We need His revelation for that. And He has revealed Himself sufficiently for us to live and glorify and enjoy Him in His Word. There's no more revelation, no more direct revelation. We have everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of His promises, His Word which teaches us about Him. That's what His Word says. And His Word is proved true by the resurrection of Christ. And the more and better we know Him, the more we love and trust and fear Him, if we believe what we know. And today I want to point us to the bookends of a a section on wisdom. And these bookends contain some information that a lot of people fight against. There's a lot of struggle with God over His sovereignty and what that means. And we've already talked a little bit about sovereignty. And I know that I'm not repeating what we've already looked at a little bit. One of the laws of learning is repetition. But then we'll we'll take it to a, a more personal level. Uh, as regards our daily lives. But a fundamental, fundamental characteristic and attribute of God is His sovereignty. His rule and control over all things. Our peace in the midst of trouble. Our joy in the midst of trouble. Our satisfaction in the midst of trouble to a great extent will depend upon what we understand and rely on regarding His sovereignty. So we need to be sustained by what He's revealed in His Word. Listen, we don't, we don't have everything in His Word we think we want to know, but we have everything we need to know to love Him and live for Him. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. Purpose statement that we may do all the words of His law. In other words, that we might live for Him. We might live in accord with the way that we're created, which is to love, trust, hope in, be faithful to our Lord in His grace. But one thing is clearly taught in Scripture, and it's clearly taught in these texts we're going to look at, is His sovereignty, His control. And it's for our rest. It's not to make us proud. Not to make us wash away other parts of Scripture. It's to give us peace and rest knowing that our God has it. That He will accomplish all His purpose we've been singing about. And He has us 
and will protect and bless us. Not keep us from all struggle, but see us all the way through to glory and to life forever with Him in new heavens and the new earth. So we're going to look at 6, 10 to 12, really mostly verse 10, and then 7, 13 to 14, again, mostly verse 14, just the bookends of this section. The title that I, I took the title from the Doris Day song, but my title is Whatever, Whatever Will Be Has Been. <laughs> Whatever will be has been, and I'll tell you what I meant by that. But the main point, all of life is foreordained down to the smallest happening, the smallest action, even our good days and our bad days. So rest in His grace and walk in His wisdom. And that points us forward to next week when we start looking at the wisdom text. No maverick molecule is the way R.C. Sproul would have said, would have said it. But look, look first, look back at verse 10. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is. So we're going to look first at the big picture from this verse of God's sovereignty. Whatever has come is already named. What does that mean? Well, to name something is, is to exercise authority over it. And the fact that God has named it means He is in authority over it. He's in control over it. And Solomon here is confessing that even in the darkness and confusion of this world, even when it doesn't look like it, God is in control and He reigns over all things. Let me give you another couple of translations that might help you see better uh, what's going on in this text when it's talking about things being named and God knowing what man is. The Net Bible, I've recommended that to you before. Is a, it's, a, it's a good translation. It has a lot of great notes. Probably some, if you're not interested in original languages, there may be some notes that you're not that interested in. But uh, that ESV study Bible has a lot of good notes. But a couple of translations here might help us. The Net Bible says this. It says, whatever has happened was foreordained. That's literally what Solomon is teaching with the words that he used. Whatever has happened was foreordained, and what happens to a person was also foreknown. The Lexham English Bible, you, you probably find in association with Logos and things like that, kind of this, this translation was made to kind of be an interlinear or something you would set beside the original languages to use in your study as you're studying Hebrew or studying Greek. You could kind of use that as a tool and a help. But it says it this way. It says, whatever is, it was already determined. What will be, it has already been decided. Are you uncomfortable yet? This kind of stuff tests us. It, it, it tested Nebuchadnezzar. It tests us. It tested me when I was first exposed to God's sovereignty. And my natural default as a human being with a limited intellect and mind is to say, God can't be fully sovereign and yet man be free and responsible. And that's just rationalism that... That's my brain sparking because I don't have a, uh, an infinite intellect, but it is exactly what God teaches. We are responsible. God is at work. There's a lot of things we can talk about about that, but the first place we want to see is Solomon is saying, and he's saying this with a purpose, whatever is has been determined or it's been foreordained. And whatever happens to a person was foreknown. There's not a maverick molecule. Everything is playing out exactly according to God's decree. Whatever comes into being, Dr. Shaw says this, its character has been defined and determined. We can see exactly what God has foreordained as we look back or as we experience. History is His story. There's never been... A mistake. This is going to cause us to struggle if we don't have a full and balanced theology when we go through hard times. We'll blame God for things that we really shouldn't or we'll question Him in ways that we shouldn't and the devil loves it when we do that. But we need to adopt what Solomon is saying here just in general that God is in control, that His foreordained will is being accomplished. Whatever has happened has already been 
in His decree and determination. Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, Confessions and catechisms are of no account unless they're a faithful summary of what God's Word teaches. They're just tools for knowing what God's Word teaches. And, and so when you read, like if you go read the Westminster and you go read in chapter 3 where I'm going to quote, you'll see a lot of scripture references under this paragraph. Go look at those scripture references. But I'm just going to read this to you because this is a good summary about what scripture teaches about God's sovereignty. So I think we have a slide for it. Yes. Read along slowly with me. Now... On things like sovereignty, on thing, anything, first learn what it is before you decide whether or not you believe it. Learn what the basis of it is. We well, avoid knee-jerk reactions because maybe it cross-cuts you when you first hear it. If you haven't been cross-cut by the truths of God's sovereignty, you haven't been thinking about it. But Westminster Confession of Faith says this, God from all eternity did by the most, now watch, by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will, freely and unchangeably ordain most of the things that comes to pass. That's not what that word means. Whatsoever comes to pass, God foreordained it. You see, that's just that's what Solomon was saying. Whatever's happened, it's already been named. God's in authority. He has foreordained what happens. Scripture. He works all things according to the counsel of His will and according to His plan, Ephesians 1.11. Psalm 115, Psalm 135, He does exactly what He's purposed to do. Isaiah said He accomplishes all of His purpose. Who can tell you the end from the beginning, God says it? Only me. Why? Because I'm... I have mapped it out and I'm accomplishing my will. God doesn't watch to see what's going to happen and then, ooh, I better do something about that. He never learns anything. He's not reactive because He never learns anything. That'll bring you comfort as a Christian if you think about that. He saved you knowing everything about you. Nothing you do is going to surprise Him. It doesn't justify sin, but... He... Is in full control. That's why God, I mean, why R.C. R.C. Sproul is not God. That's why R.C. Sproul said there's not a maverick molecule in the universe. It says this, now watch this, there's some qualifications here that are good and we need them because they're what the Bible teaches. He is unchangeably ordained whatsoever comes to pass, yet so, as neither is God the author of sin. God is not the author of sin. Nor does He tempt anyone to sin. James. So we can't blame our sin on Him. And thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures. He doesn't make people do what they don't want to do. He's not responsible for our evil. Nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. In other words, everything is playing out. You know, if you drop, if I hold a hammer and drop it, it's going to fall. Gravity. Without God as the first cause, none of that could happen. But nobody, God is not the author of sin. He doesn't violate the will of creatures, yet He's in full control and able to accomplish all of His purposes. The doctrine of concurrence. That two people can be working in the same instance with different intents. God can sinlessly use sin to accomplish His purpose. What did Joseph say to his brothers? You meant it for evil, but God made the best out of it. God meant it for, God meant it for good. See, when, we're st- when we have a hard thing happen in our lives, we have to be really careful how we respond and react to the doctrine of God's sovereignty. In this world you will have trouble. He promises to make all things work together for good. But He is in control. Would you rather have a world that is out of control? Please say no. God is in control. Solomon says if it has come to be, it was already named or it was foreordained. And what will happen to man was foreordained. Now look how he continues that. Basically, I guess I'm just... Feeling a little Bob Newhart this morning. Stop arguing. Stop contending with God. Embrace His sovereignty. You need it. 
Stop trying to wash it away with responsibility. That's not how the Bible works. Or vice versa, right? His brother, Joseph's brother, Joseph is a good example of, of Christ and the Christian life and of going through suffering without knowing the end of it. And in the end, we find out God was at work through it all the time. Did God cause his brothers to treat him badly? No, certainly not. But he was in control of every step of Joseph's story, taking him to the throne. Jesus, everything that happened to him was foreordained according to God's plan, Luke says in Acts. And here. Now look how Solomon continues. God is in control. If it happened, it's been foreordained. Not only what happens generally in the world, but what happens to man. And then he continues on right here. He says in the second part of verse 10, And, and that man, this is talking about man, he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Who's the one stronger than man? It's God. It's God. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives his few days of his vain or temporary. See, temporary. Right? Life, which passes like a shadow. That's telling us what he meant by vain life. For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? No living man can. And God will tell us what we need to know about that. Here's the other, here's the net Bible again on those verses I just read. Watch this. It is useless for him or for man to argue with God about his fate because God is more powerful than he is. The more one argues with words, the less he accomplishes. You ever get you ever argue with God and come to the end of that about anything? He's good at bringing us to the end of ourselves. How does that how does it benefit you to argue with God and dispute and contend with God? God's giving us something we need. Or else He wouldn't be giving it to us. He's showing us something about Himself and He expects us to embrace it. And we need to embrace it. Lexham Bible. As for man, he cannot argue against what is more powerful than him. Increasing words only multiplies futility. How does that profit anyone? And as I said, verse 12, God knows and He reveals some of it to man but not all of it. Remember Deuteronomy 29, 29. There are secret things. And that's most of our lives as they play out. But the things that are revealed, the Word belongs to us and our children that we may walk in all of His ways or His commandments. We have everything we need in His Word, but the secret things are His. And He doesn't tell us everything about what's going to happen to us. He promises us a few things. If you want a biblical worldview, Jesus said, in this world you'll have it easy and it'll all be a vacation. Jesus is our prophet. He tells us the truth. He said, in this world you will have trouble. In fact, he said, if you follow me, the world's going to hate you. That's becoming more and more manifest in our lives and every day we walk here recently. In this world you're going to have trouble. And I'm not going to tell you about what all that's going to be, but be of good cheer for I have overcome it. I'm in control of it. I will accomplish all my purposes. See, God knows what is good, and He has revealed what is good to us, but not everything. He doesn't tell us the secret things, and man spends a lot of money and time and effort trying to figure out the secret things. Man will go to psychics and mediums and read horoscopes and all these kind of stupid things. Yes, and I meant to say that, because they're sinful things. There are things for which wrath is coming. God forbids us seeking the future outside of Him and His Word. And those who have done it have paid for it. Beware. The secret things belong to God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and our children. Dr. Shaw says this. He says, The one who is more powerful than man, with whom man cannot contend, he is the one who calls all things into existence. Therefore, man is to look to him in order to know what is good for man to do. Look to the revealed things. Look to what God has given. It's sufficient for you to know what you are supposed to do. And if God hasn't revealed it, you don't need it. Trust Him. 
and move on. Most of us won't spend the time in here to know what God has revealed. We want shortcuts. Just tell me what to believe, preacher. That's one of the most dangerous things you can do. You need to be a Berean. You need to be studying the Word. You need to measure what I'm saying by, by the Word. You need to come to me and say, man, you goofed there if I step outside of the Word. Because there's a lot of people with big shiny ministries on TV that will lead you down the primrose path straight to hell if you listen to them. People store up teachers according to their itching ears. They want people who will tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. You have a responsibility to know the revealed things. And one of the consistent revealed things through all of Scripture is that God is sovereign and He is in control. That's what it means to be God. He's not sovereign. He's not God. The end, beginning to end, is working out according to His decree. And it's for His glory and it's for our good. Even when He takes us through trouble, He promises to make that turn out for good. So God in sovereign, God in general is sovereign. Let's boil it down to our daily life, which is the other side of the bracket of this section on wisdom. Everything that happens has been foreordained. God's in control. He gives us what we need. No use in arguing with Him. It's all for our good. Section on wisdom, and then here's the other bracket. Now, let's, it's going to zoom in on our daily lives. And listen, in order to obey Scripture, you need to own this. Look what Solomon says. In verse 13, we've seen this before in 3.11. I'll point you back to that sermon. But in verse 13, it says, Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what He has made crooked? He is in control. We are not. There is a king. It's not you. It's Him. Jesus is on the throne. Accomplishing His purpose by His Spirit powerfully working with His gospel in the earth. But look at verse 14. And part of this is easy for us to adopt, and we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. The other part might cause us a little, a little tremble, but it says this in verse 14. In the day of prosperity be joyful. Do I need to say anything else about that? That's our default setting when things are going well. You know, we think all things. It ought to be that way all the time. Woo! Be joyful when it's going well, when your plans are working out, when you're being prospered. If the day is good, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But here's the hard thing for us to grab, but it's a necessary thing. And in the day of adversity, consider all things happen by chance and oh, whatever. Look at this. In the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. We'll talk about that in a minute. Every one of your days are crafted by the Master to be exactly what you need for exactly what He's called you to. Everything necessary for today, you have today. But watch it. The days of prosperity come straight from our Father's hand. Right? That's what it's saying, right? It says, be joyful. And in the day of adversity, consider. Consider what? Consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. In other words, the day of adversity is not an accident. Remember, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. When will we believe Him? But the trouble is not just kind of out of control trouble that God didn't see coming and that just happened to you. God has made the bad days as well as the good days. God has crafted the bad days as well as the good days. And I just ask you, can your theology handle that? We think the bad things that happen are out of... No way God would have anything to do with a hurricane coming in and smashing up a bunch of stuff. Well, I don't know how you're going to have peace if you believe that. God has made the bad days as well as the good. Listen to what Isaiah says. This is God speaking through His prophet. This is God's Word. I form light and I create darkness. 
I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. I'm pausing on purpose, not just because I'm thirsty. God makes well-being and calamity. He's in control. I am the Lord who does all these things. Watch this, what he told. Moses was arguing with God. I can't speak. I'd love to do it, God, but I'm just not the man. I, I can't speak. Now look what God says. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Now watch this. Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? You mean God would make somebody mute? Uh-huh. God would make somebody deaf? Yeah. Yeah. His purposes are bigger than ours, right? There's only, uh, out of those four things, we would only think one of them is good. The seeing. But he says, or blind. I, it is I. Think about the blind man when the disciples asked, was it, whose sin was this that this happened to him? And Jesus said, none. It's for the glory of God. Think about Lazarus. It says he loved him, so he let him die. Read, read that carefully. In the book of John. He loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So instead of rushing to them to heal Lazarus, he stayed where he was a couple of more days so Lazarus would die. And he was more glorified in that. To think everybody's supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and wise and have no trouble and no sickness, even in the church, is a delusion that's not according to Scripture. Now certainly that will be true in the new heavens and the new earth, but we're not there yet. We live in a fallen world where we must look above the sun. And bad things as well as good things come from the hand of the Lord. Really they're not bad, but there's, there's struggle, right? I mean, people do sin against us, and God's not responsible for that. But he's, in, he's Lord over it. He could have prevented Joseph's brothers from throwing him in the pit and selling him to the Midianite traders, but he, did, traders, but he didn't. God says he makes mute, deaf, seeing, or blind. And in our text, he said he has crafted your good days as well as your bad days. Does that mean he's doing it to be mean? No. He's, his work, he's working in us repentance and faith. He's saving us. He's growing us. He's protecting us. He's taking us all the way home. But we're such knuckleheads, we do most of our growing in times of struggle. When things are going easy and well, we tend to forget God. And we might say a blessing or whatever here, you know, but... But when things are hard, when God is at work, He's drawing us in deeper. Drawing us closer to Himself. We need struggle to go. Go to the gym and try to grow without struggle. I didn't say go to McDonald's. That's where you go and grow without struggle. <laughs> go try to get in shape without struggle. Quit buying pills and mess and stuff. People say you have a brand new body in four weeks. Well, they'll have a brand new wallet. That's about it. Growth comes through struggle and God's in control of it all. And He says He is crafting our good days as well as our bad days. Which we see as bad anyway. So when the day is easy and when it's calm and when it's prosperous, rejoice. And when it is hard, when it's a day of adversity in your health or in your finances or in your relationships, cry to God, why, why, why? This shouldn't be happening. Now listen, listen, I've already said it and I'm not making little of struggles in this life. And sometimes we go through things and we honestly cry, why? And it's okay, but we need to eventually come around to the fact that He hasn't left the throne, that He's still on the throne. And even though we can't see it, He promises to turn and use this thing for good. We go through very hard things in this life, but they're all crafted coming through our Father's hand for a good and glorious purpose. 
His command here is, is to consider. And very simply, to see. To have eyes of faith. We walk by faith and not by sight, right? In the good and the bad, see your Father in His hand at work in your life. He promises to work all of those things out for good. See God's hand like, have you ever watched a potter at a wheel shaping a vessel? And at first it's just a big, and that's what a lot of our life feels like, just a big of clay, right? But then he, the wheel starts spinning and he's shaping it and he's making, taking something ugly and messy and yuck and turning it into this beautiful, useful thing. That's how God redeems our trials. To take something that in and of itself would be yuck and terrible. If there was no God, why? It's terrible. But no, He promises to work it together for good. And so every day of your life has been shaped by the Master's hand and will be used for something good, even if it in itself is not good. See, it was sin for Joseph's brothers to do what they did to him. It was sin for them to crucify Christ and reject him that way. But God was at work bringing life out of death, bringing glory out of goo. Ugh. See, he is the potter and we are the clay. That's a biblical image. I didn't come up with that. He's shaping every one of your days for his glory and your good. The hard stuff, uh-huh. Even the thing, even a sickness that will take a believer out of this life. Believers struggle with the same characteristics of a fallen world, right? And sometimes he does heal through prayer, and sometimes he doesn't. Yes, he is still in the business of healing, but he doesn't guarantee he'll do that every single time. And some of the most godly people who've ever lived have suffered the most. Read, that's one of the things that helps to read autobiographies and you see how people struggle, like Spurgeon, a lot of his struggles. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So much to say. But when you have a bad day, slow down. Think about it. This too is from the hand of my God. This too, though it be painful, He promises to use it for good. One of the things we can know He's doing through everything that comes into our life is making us more like Jesus, if we know Him. Chiseling away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. One painful hammer blow at the time. But Solomon says, after talking about uh, the day of adversity, he says, watch, slow down, stop, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. He shaped every day and is shaping every day exactly according to the plan of His decree and His sovereign will. He is in control and nothing will slip up on Him or take Him by surprise. Read church history. Read the early church. We like to romanticize the early church. Blood flowing all over the place because God's people were being persecuted and killed. But they were just being set free to be with their Lord. Listen, uh, owning the fact that God is at work, that He's created the day of adversity as well as the day of prosperity, that He's at work in it all for His glory and our good, that's the only way we can trust Him. Because think about it, most of your days are, are at least blah, and some of them are really hard. And we have those, the reason we call them mountaintop experiences is because they're rare. But He's in control of all of that. And owning that is the only way we can obey Scripture like James. Look what James says. I'm going to read it slowly. Count it all joy my brothers, when everything is going well and smoothly. Notice Solomon said to rejoice in the day of prosperity, but he's also saying to rejoice in the day of adversity. Look what James says. Count it all joy. Now do you think that means, okay, this is pretty cool. Man, when we are overjoyed, what do we do? Jesus said when you're persecuted, leap for joy. 
And we don't have this mindset because we've not embraced God's sovereignty the way we ought to. But James says to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. Our first response to trials is joy if we're thinking biblically. Now watch. Because you know God is at work. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Trials test our faith. The ones who have truth at faith, though they struggle, they come through and are purified. For the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks this kind of wisdom, let him ask God and he will give generally to all without reproach and it will be given to them. Paul says in Romans 5, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know God's at work. We know He's producing Christ's likeness in us. And we're assured of that by the Spirit He's poured out in our hearts. His love has been poured out in our hearts. Notice what James doesn't say. Claim the victory or, or pray to be immediately out of it when you meet various trials. Think that it shouldn't be happening this way when you meet trials and struggles of various kinds. No, count it all joy. Have a hallelujah fit. Leap for joy because your God is at work in your life, in the good days and the bad, to guide and lead you in the path He's got for you, to shape you into the image of Christ, to bless you with what He has for you. But some of our days are prosperous days, and some of our days are adverse days, and we are to rejoice in them all because God is in control. Look back in Ecclesiastes 7.14 at the end. kind of ends the way uh, verse 12 did so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. In other words, God doesn't give us a crystal ball. God's not going to, no matter what you do, share with you all of the secret things that He's foreordained for you. And listen, if He did, it would scare you to death. You'd probably die of a heart attack. I mean, there's a silly little saying, you want to make God laugh, tell Him your plans. His will is being accomplished. And it's a great mystery. And we are free and responsible to make choices. And yet, God is working in and through that in such a way to accomplish all of His purpose, everything that's been forwarded. This is not fatalism. This is Christianity that God is in control. And He's at work in His people. But we can rest in the day of adversity if we know it's from the hand of our Father. And if we don't, we can't. We just won't be able to wait till it's over and we'll waste the lesson we're supposed to learn so we'll have to go through it again. Quit looking for crystal balls and dig into the Word of God because this is the all, only the reliable information about the future that you will have. I heard an old uh, preacher talking about Dion Warwick's Psychic Friends Network. You notice they're out of business now. Um, but he said, there ain't no power in it. There ain't no power in it. He said, the whole thing went bankrupt. There ain't never one of them saw it coming. <laughs> we have everything we need to know. And the most important thing we need to know is our God is on the throne. And He's crafting all of our days. And He has a great and glorious purpose in it. And when we find ourselves hip deep in trials, we should be rejoicing in Him because we know even through tears, we know He's at work in us and for us. Life is hard, and there's no shadowing that or, or taking that away, and we're not supposed to. But we're to know that He is with us, He is in it, He has crafted it, and somehow He promises to work it all for good. Read Romans 8.28. God wouldn't have to say that if He was just going to make everything easy and squeeze His kids. It really helps us most when we're struggling. But Solomon says, if it's happened, it's been foreordained. He says, be joyful in the days of prosperity and consider. And James says, be joyful in the days of adversity because you know God has made one as well as the other. In, word. in other words, God is sovereign. He is in control. There really isn't a maverick molecule in the universe. Did you know that God's word says that every one of your days were written down in his book before there was one of them? 
Some of you are spending too much time worried about death. Every day you will have on this planet was written in God's book before there was a molecule in this universe. And nothing you or I will or can do will change that. Only if he was in full control and marked out your days, Acts 17, exactly where we would live and everything else that we might seek him. Only if he was in full control could he tell you that. You've been given a certain number of days on this planet and that's when, when it's up, it's up. Some are younger, some are older, some are in between. It's a lot, great deal of it is a mystery, but God is in control. Some of us are, are, are struggling because we're not owning the truth of that verse. Every one of the days you will live on this planet are marked out by God. Every one of the days your children will live on this planet have been marked out by God. Every one of the days your spouse will live on this planet have been marked out. Every one of the days that everybody, and every day that we live is a day more than we deserve. But He is gracious and merciful and has sent His Son to save us. What are we, how do we take away? I'm going to give you a few things to think about and then I'll be done. What is our application? The first and foremost application is trust Him. Trust Him. Look at the cross and trust Him. If He'll do that for us, what will He withhold? Fearing Him, is part of that is trusting Him. Rest in both His grace and His sovereignty. He has given us His Word. He's given us His Son. He's given us His Spirit. We have everything necessary for life and godliness. And in His Word, He tells us, I got you. I'm going to take you through some things you don't understand, but I've got you. I'm going to make it all work together for good, not just for everybody, but for those who are called according to His purpose. If you're not trusting in Jesus this morning, His promise is not for you. Every breath you take, you need to be thinking about turning to Christ. But He's given us everything, including His Son. What is the gospel? Why should I trust Him? What's the most prominent reason I should trust Him? Because He has sacrificed His Son for us. Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried. He really died. He was in the grave. And on the third day He arose victorious over death, assuring us everything is true about Him. He is King. He is on the throne. And He's ascended to exactly that position to see His gospel go around this earth. And He assures us that every one of our days have been crafted by the loving hands of our Father. Based on the fact that God has sacrificed His Son, Jesus died for our sins, that He was buried and that He raised Him from the grave, Acts 17, 30 and 31 says that He commands all people everywhere to repent. If you're not trusting in Jesus this morning, you need to repent and turn toward God and trust in and receive His Son. And those of us who are trusting in Him need to trust Him. Not just for the salvation of our souls, but for every daily moment of our lives. The hard things and the easy things. So trust Him. Sometimes you have to trust Him in the dark, but trust Him. When the disciples were in the boat with Jesus and the storm was raging and swamping the boat, where was He? Right there with them. He was in control. He said, where is your faith? And rebuked the wind and the sea. Trust and obey Him in the light as, as in the dark. And when there's no other explanation for what's going on, Look to the cross and through the cross to His throne. That's the God who's reigning for you that sacrificed Himself for you. Please don't think, no matter who you hear it from, even if an angel comes down from heaven and says this to you, please don't think this, if I just had enough faith, I wouldn't have bad days. If I just had enough faith, I wouldn't be sick. If I just had enough faith, I wouldn't be poor. Who told you that? 
Well, I tell you who told you that. The devil told you that. Because he's trying to root it in you and blame you and get you to not be at peace and trust. And he wants to accuse God and say, see, this hard thing shouldn't be happening to you. God doesn't love you. God's withholding. Remember the garden and Adam and Eve and what the devil accusing God and he's withholding something you need from you and if you'll just kind of follow me, I'll give you what you really want. Ain't that what sin promises? But it's a lie. No, he's in control. He's on the throne. Your good days and your bad days in his hands, shaped by him so that knowing that and his sovereign love for you and his sacrificial love through the cross, you can trust him and rest in him and rejoice even in the difficulties because you know he's at work. So trust him. Secondly, it leads into it. Rejoice in your trials. And I'm going to give you three verses from 1 Thessalonians. They were, you rejoice in your trials because your trials were designed in eternity past God is in control, promises to work everything together for good, so rejoice in it. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, rejoice always. On the good days and the bad days, rejoice always. Trust always and rejoice always. Because He's got you and He's in control and He's promising to make you into the image of Christ and take you all the way home. Even the times when you wish it wasn't this way and don't see how this could possibly be used for good. It can and it will be. But a lot of that we have to take by faith because of what we know about God. Because we don't have every explanation we would want. Listen to me. and it's, <clears throat> This is as hard on me as it is on you. If you're only rejoicing when times are good, you're worshiping yourself and not God. If you only rejoice when times are good and easy, you're worshiping yourself and not God. If I only rejoice when times are easy, I'm worshiping myself and not my God. I'm not believing Him. I'm not knowing Him. I'm not obeying Him. Life gets hard sometimes. And it's very grievous sometimes. And it's okay to grieve. It's just we grieve as those who have hope. And we can rejoice through tears. But God has shaped every one of your days to accomplish what He wants to accomplish in your life. In God's sovereignty, there are no accidents. There is no chance. Chance is not a thing. It is nothing. It has no power. It's just a statement of... Mathematical probability. Rejoice always. Thirdly, pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Pray about this. Pray about life. Pray every day. Pray like Jesus. Jesus says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. But not as I will, but as you will. That is a faith-filled prayer because you're entrusting yourself to God. You're not telling Him what to do with your life. You're entrusting. It's more a faith-filled prayer than trying to name and claim stuff. And it can't be a sinful prayer because that's how Jesus prayed, right? We entrust ourselves to the will of God and we pray and we can, we're real with Him about when things hurt and when we don't understand and all of that. And sometimes you get more light than other times, but you have sufficient light in Scripture to walk through it with rejoicing, with trusting, with praying. And lastly, give thanks. God is in control. 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. Now watch what it says. Give thanks in the easy circumstances. There's a little nagging word there, isn't there? Give thanks in all circumstances. We don't get many times in Scripture when God says, this is God's will for you. One is sanctification and our, having our bodies honor Him. But here He says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And Paul says literally in Ephesians to give thanks for everything. He says to give thanks for everything. I think it's 520, somewhere around there. I didn't put it in my notes. How can I give thanks for the hard, the day of adversity? Well, even though it's hard, 
I know that He's sovereign and in control and it's come through my Father's hand. So I can give thanks even when I don't understand and even when it hurts. But the Word, Scripture says, give thanks in all circumstances, the easy and the hard ones. Rejoice in all circumstances. Pray in all circumstances. Trust in all circumstances. And then five, patiently walk in His paths. Remember, that was the end of Deuteronomy 29.29. What God has revealed to us is for us and our children that we may walk in His commandments. If you don't know that sanctification requires patience, Listen, and we do dumb things and we say dumb things. Don't pray for patience. God will give you trials. Well, God's going to give you trials anyway. It's just whether or not you're going to cash them in. You're not in control, remember? If I just don't pray for patience, He won't give me any trials. Come on. You just got a trial. <laughs> Patiently walk with Him. Remember Deuteronomy 29. There's some revealed things and there's some secret things and we can trust Him with them all. He's given us everything we need to know about how to walk with Him in a fallen world. How to walk in faith so that we trust and obey and rejoice and pray and we're patient. If there's anything I would say to you about the day of adversity or a day of trial, it's just be real patient before you say anything. Just think. Remember this. Before you complain to others or complain to God, and in that way, accuse him. Just be patient. He's got you. Look to the cross. That wasn't easy. Jesus took the ultimate adversity that we might be able to walk through our adversity in faith and it be cashed in for our growth in his glory. Be patient and walk in his commands. And we'll, we'll begin to look at wisdom again next time we meet. But in, I'm done. But it is true that whatever will be, will be because it has been ordained by our sovereign, loving God. Therefore, we can trust and rest and rejoice and live for His glory, even in the midst of hardship. Every moment of your life is ordained, ordered, governed, by the God who sacrificed His Son to save you. Let the cross, let the cross point you to the Word when the days are easy and when they're hard. There you will find your glorious, gracious, sovereign Savior assuring you that He's in control. And we'll take you all the way home. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, this is probably the prayer we need to pray momently on every day of our lives. Help us to trust you. Help us not to trust our own wisdom. Help us not to be wise in our own eyes. Help us to not only believe it if it makes sense to us. Help us to be rooted and grounded in your truth and owning and adopting everything your word says as true. When we get it and when we don't. Help us to be people like Christ. People of the book. People who delight to do the Father's will. People who walk by the power of the Holy Spirit. People who are light and salt for you. It's mostly when we're in the midst of trials that others are going to see a difference in our lives if we trust you. Help us to trust you. I pray for those who don't know you this morning that you call them to faith. I pray for my brothers and sisters who, like I did, struggle with the doctrine of your sovereignty. Help us not to just wash it aside. Help us not to explain it away because we're responsible. Help us to own what we own because we see it in your word. That everything that happens, happens because it was foreordained by you. That you are in control. That you can tell us the end from the beginning. Because you accomplish in all of your plan and purposes. 
even the sacrifice of your son on a cruel cross by a Roman army. It was sinful the way he was treated, but you were in control accomplishing your purpose to save a people by not just Lord Jesus, by you not just physically dying on the cross, but by suffering the wrath due our sin on the cross and drinking that cup dry, all according to your plan. And that you could say, from that cross, it is finished. It is paid in full. To tell us die. Help us to trust you and rest in you and know that our sins are forgiven. That we have the same power at work in us that raised Christ from the dead. That we are clothed in Christ's righteousness and that we are your children. And that we are to shine as lights in the darkness of this present world. We lay ourselves at your feet, Lord. Work in us according to your loving, gracious purpose. Help us, Lord, when we have very deep hurts that we struggle with. Help us to trust you, to rest in you, to love you and live for you, to fear you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.